Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, where it says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained, also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. Basically the same meaning. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We love results, do we not? In fact, if any project, any venture, any time spent on a particular goal, any energy and expertise poured into something does not result into some change, some difference, some delight, some happiness, some joy, we are rightly disappointed, aren't we? When I married my wife, Marilyn, The result was, there were many. My loneliness was fulfilled. My passions reignited. My ministry extended. My family expanded. And my love renewed. If those things had not taken place, I would have every reason to doubt the validity of my marriage. Now, At the same time, as my wife and I have shared in many a venue, along with the joys of marriage have have come a plethora of struggles between us, between our children, and yet along with those very trials have come a true measure of growth. Painful, but growth nevertheless. And a certain determination to push on, so to speak, through each trial for God. And so it is for every individual who truly places their faith in Jesus Christ. And let's not have any illusions here. There are many of you who do not have this faith. You are the accidental Pharisee that Chris talked about. When we truly believe on the Lord Jesus, there are amazing results We become children of God, right? Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. We are a new creation. Our sins are forgiven. 
God, the Holy Spirit, comes to live within us. He seals us. He indwells us. He guides us. He convicts us. He empowers us. He gifts us. He intercedes for us and a whole lot more. Including this gift of justification we've been looking at over the last few weeks. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have what? One of the results. Repeatedly in this passage, I was going, he, he says, how much more, how much more, how much more, how much more, all the way through verse 17. He's trying to get this superlative in there as to what God has done and, will, and continues to do as a result of justifying us, if indeed we've been justified. And these things are huge. Let's just list a few of them. As a result of this justification, when you are justified, if you've been justified, there is Peace. Peace with God. There's, you know, Christians like to talk about the peace of God and peace with God, but it's the other way around. It's peace with God that will give way to the peace of God. The peace of God is that experiential, the feeling kind of peace that many of us have had when, when we're in the difficult circumstances and yet we just sense we're in the groove, you know, God has taken us through this thing. But that's not this kind of peace. This is, this is the kind of peace that speaks of a state of being, like the end of hostilities at the end of a war. So, for instance, like in World War II, when Japan unconditionally surrendered to the United States of America, there was a state of peace between us. The hostilities had ceased. Interestingly enough, they then, that is Japan, did not become our slaves, but they were free to go on from there and then to become one of the most economically powerful countries in the world. Verse 10 tells us that we're at a state of war with God. This is an important thing and probably the only thing some of you need to hear today. That outside of Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter how nice you are, like the Rodemakers, nice people. But they were, at a state, they were in a state of war with God. They didn't even know it. And some of you are just like that. Of course, you know it too. You're in a state of hostility with God. You know you're an enemy of God. It's obvious. You hate God. You hate Christianity. You hate and fight against righteousness. But for some of you, it's not so obvious. You're a nice person. You agree with the basic tenets of Christianity. You like the idea of doing good to others as they do good to you and all that stuff. But deep down in your heart of hearts, and you know it, you are still at what the Bible calls enmity with God. You're still at variance with God. You are an enemy of God. You know, you're, you're running your own life, fulfilling your own dreams, Seeking your own praise, establishing your own little kingdom. How's that working for you? But you're an enemy of God. Brent was such a guy. Remember him a few years ago? Member of our church today? I had Bible studies. It seemed like I had Bible studies with him for six years. It was only four months. That was an eternity to me. I didn't think he'd ever come to Christ. Nicest guy I'd ever met. Had Bible studies with him. Yeah, I love it, man. This is good stuff. Well, what do you think, Brent? Yep, let's do it again. Okay. We come back the next week and do it all over again. I just, I really wondered if Brent would ever come to Christ. He's just such a nice guy. One day I was sick. I didn't want to have a Bible study with him. I'd had a lot anyway. 
I called him up and said, I don't really want to have, I, I didn't say I don't want to have, I said, I don't feel like uh, doing a Bible study, I'm not feeling well, but you know, just sort of in passing, I said, is there anything you've sort of learned this week so that I can get ready for next week? Well, yeah, I was hoping you'd come over because I was reading in Romans 5 and it says there that if I'm not in Christ, I'm an enemy of God. That really bothered me. Oh, I'm feeling better all of a sudden. And I said, well, uh, I was thinking fast. I really did not feel well that night. I said, uh, 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 Brent, um, why does that bother you? Well, I just, I just never thought of myself as an enemy of God. I said, really? I said, do you consider yourself as a friend of his? And he paused. He said, well, no, not really. I said, well, then what does that make you? And he paused. He said, I'm an enemy of God, aren't I? And within a couple of days, he became his friend, bowed his heart to Christ. And he had peace with God like you can have, like Chris and Melissa experienced. And then there's access. Look at that. It says we have access. Unbelievable. Through him, we've obtained access. In 1 Peter, Peter uses this word when he says, Christ died for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might, same word, bring us to God. It's the word which means to be brought near. It carries the idea of having having the right to address someone. One addressed as a higher status. It's sort of a picture of Esther. If you remember the old story of Esther, she's, she's walking into, if she goes into the king, if he doesn't extend his scepter, she's done. She's toast. She's dead. But the king indeed does extend his scepter. He allows her this audience with himself. But it's more than that because the writer of Hebrews says we actually can do this with confidence. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Listen, this language was absolutely unheard of before the New Testament. You didn't just go trampsing into the throne of anything, let alone the temple area. But Jesus, because of his death, it was finished. The curtain was rent. It was torn, giving access to the holy of holies and showing you and I that we have access to God. But here, Paul is talking, is not talking, listen to this. He is not talking primarily about access to an audience with God. He is referring to access to his grace. Look at it. That's what he says. We've obtained access by faith into this, what? Say it. Grace. But don't let that confuse you because on the other hand, what is the throne of God called but a throne of what? Yeah, it is. Hebrews 4. So in a sense, access into grace is the same as access to God himself. This access is the key to what is about to follow. Namely, purpose in all that you go through in life. When Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, who was struggling with some malady, my grace is sufficient, it's adequate for you, it was really his grace. It wasn't Paul's. It was Jesus. It was his grace given to Paul, as it will be given to you. His special, for Christians only, kind of grace. Your faith, if you've entered into it, 
has given you access to God and to his amazing grace. This is how you get through the death of a wife. This is how you get to the cancer of a son, the loss of your job, the adultery of your spouse, a divorce, persecution on the job, the process of aging and dying. There is a special Christian-only grace given to us. It's the access to that grace that we have. And it's often the way we handle the very circumstances I listed and a hundred others. I didn't. That prove the veracity of your faith, the genuineness of your faith. Is it real? I'll know when you get into those circumstances. Because grace isn't something you go and get. It's given to you. You've been given, if you know Christ, access to its resources. And so when you're standing over the corpse of a spouse or a child, taken in infancy, the world stands in awe while you stand in grace because of the unique access that you've entered into. This is all part and parcel to faith in Christ. And as I said, there's purpose. That's the third thing. There's purpose. This is what justification gives way to. Look at verses 3 and 4. He says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Do you do that? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, character. Character, hope. So endurance, character, hope. Those are all Words that sort of come in, they sort of, they're sort of sequential. Endurance is the word to, it's, there's two words. It means to remain or abide under, to stay underneath something. It pictures pressure on you, but you're able to handle it. Character is sort of what comes out of that. That's the word dokami. It means to, it's a really cool word because the word means, it, it carries the idea of something that's been proven after being tested. You passed the test. That's the idea here. So you're under something and you pass that test. You get through it. Haven't you ever done that where you look back and you go, wow, how did how'd that happen? And then he says, hope. And the word hope here is, is the word which means a confident assurance. It doesn't mean, oh, I'm hoping this will happen. I hope, I hope, I hope. No, it doesn't mean that. It means... I've got this confident assurance. And this is where it becomes intriguing. The idea here is I've, I have this confident assurance. If I pass the test before, I'll pass it again. That's the idea here. So some of you, you, you tattoo you know, Philippians 4.13 on, your, on all your books and your arms and everything else. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's my favorite verse. Really? Paul didn't say that as an aspiration. He said that because he had experienced it. He had passed the test before. When he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he wasn't saying, you know, I'm, I'm hoping. I mean, yeah, when, when the t- test comes, God will strengthen. No, he was saying, I know I will be able to pass it again because I have passed it. That's what he was saying. The developed qualities of endurance and character and hope are not diplomas we, we receive from a hard, hard effort of study. Listen to this. They are the true 
results of a life lived well under trial. They are battle scars worn, not proudly, except that your boast in the cross becomes bolder and brighter and more beautiful. This is why it's so risky to look too admirably at young men and women in the faith who, while knowledgeable, might lack the experience of suffering. The crucible of suffering is the only thing, it's not the only thing, but it is a primary thing by which God skims the dross out of our lives. And the word suffering in that passage, it's, it's the word which means pressure. It means to be crushed. It's the reason why Tozer put it like this. It's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And by the way, parents, parents, this is going to be bizarre to some of you. How do you pray for your children? I can honestly tell you that once I started learning these truths many years ago, I stopped praying for this bed of roses trail for my kids. I actually pray that they will struggle. I actually pray that they will have to wrestle with all kinds of things in their lives, but, they will, but that they will struggle well. And if they fail, they'll know where to go. Because... The purpose, this is all about sanctification, growing in Christ. It's not going to happen unless the pressure's on, unless we pass the test, unless we can look back and see some victories and go forward. Nothing is more exasperating than the thought of what I'm going through is purposeless. Am I right? In Christ, be assured, dear one, There is always purpose. Love is the next outcome, outflow. And it's right there in verse verse 5, where he says, and hope does not put us to shame, but God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Hope does not put us to shame. Some of your Bibles say it doesn't disappoint us. What does that mean? It means this. It means that no matter what you are enduring, God's gift to you is the strength that no matter how difficult the trial, you never throw in the towel. That's what it means. You keep on fighting. And here's why. Because God takes his love and just dumps it into your heart and strengthens you for the trial, whatever it may be. And this kind of love referred to here is so special, it's so deep, it's so incomprehensible that Christians literally had to make up a word for it. It's true. The Greeks were never short of words to describe things and Even the word love, so bland in our English language, it takes the context to interpret what kind of love you're talking about. Not so the Greeks. They they wanted you to understand what kind of love they were talking about when they used their words, like storge. That's a word which meant family affection, 
And isn't it true that you would say that your love for family is distinct from your love for friends? Would you say that? Sure it is. But not to fear, they had a, they had a word for that too. Phileo, love for friends. And of course, in that sex-crazed culture in which they lived, not unlike our own, they had a word for physical, sexual love, which was eros, where we get our word erotic. But this love, this God love, this selfless, this giving, this sacrificial, this sovereign, this unconditional, this never-give-up kind of love, They didn't have a word for it. So Christians literally made one up. Actually, more accurately, they found an obscure, virtually unused word. And they gave it meaning. Agape. You know the word. We've come to love this word. But when this word was introduced to the first century, it was flabbergasting to them. Who could ever love like that? I know. God. And he pours that kind of love that he had for you into your heart and in mine. Emil Bruner used to use the analogy of radium. You could mention all the properties of radium, its molecular structure, chemical properties, and so on. He said, but if you failed to say that it radiates, you'd missed something essential. Similarly, he wrote, God has many attributes such as holiness, justice, goodness, all knowledge, and all power. But if you fail to say that he constantly gives himself in love, and in fact he is love, you miss that which really matters, unquote. Because God is love, he radiates love, and when he pours his love into the hearts of those who trust his son, we radiate it. It's that very love poured out for us, that's poured into us in order that not only, you know, that we would love God back because we're incapable of doing that. But we can love others and endure whatever he allows in our lives in love. Deliverance. Deliverance is the next thing that comes out of here. And all of these verses deserve more time. But in verses 6 through 8, all, there are four sentences. Interestingly enough, every sentence in the Greek, in the original, finishes with the verb to die. So, for we, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ, for the ungodly, died. And I want you to notice all of the time elements in this passage. Verse 7, For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, but perhaps for a good person even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we now have been justified by his blood. I'm sorry, I got into verse 9. I don't want to go there yet. But there are three. He says, while at the right time. And again, while there is a purposeful emphasis here to get us to see God, whose son died at a point in time, to save us in time. At just the right time. While we were still sinners. Now, I can tell you, we saw it last Sunday night, 
I will never tire of looking at this picture, will you? I'll never tire of it. Because it's such a powerful picture of God. You know the scene, Des Moines River just a few years ago. Two people went over the dam, one perished. The other, having been thrown a series of life jackets, bobbed up and down and gasping for her life. And this construction worker saved her. When did he come? Did he come 10 minutes before the accident? Was he swinging over the dam at that time? No, he came at just the right time. When she was about to drown, just like some of you right now are, spiritually speaking. Now, suppose that construction worker, swinging out, hand outstretched in that classical picture there, saw that woman bobbing up and down and caught a glimpse of her face just before he grabbed her hand. Couldn't mistake it, even In some of the last gasps of her life, he could never, ever forget the face. What if, looking at that woman, he saw in that face, there she was, the very social worker who had, under false pretenses, come into his house and taken all of his children away. In fact, it had been three years, he hadn't even seen them yet. She's the one. What do you think he would do? What would you do? Well, if you're God, you grab her. Because God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when you question whether or not God still loves you, if you question, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you question whether he can bring this into completion, the idea in the verses that follow are basically, are you kidding me? If God didn't spare his own son, he's going to come back to this in chapter 8. Are you kidding? How how will he not also give us freely all things? That's what he's saying here. For if, verse 10, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. How much more is the idea? Now that we've been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? This passage of Scripture introduces us to all kinds of humbling terms that describe us. We are weak. That means to be without strength. We're ungodly. We're sinners. We're enemies. And there are some great theological terms that we have been introduced to in the last several weeks. Every one of them were intended to conjure up images, propitiation was intended to conjure up the image of the temple and the sacrifices and the wrath of God that was appeased for the time being. And then the other, another term was redemption. The term redemption should have, by image, taken them down into the marketplace where things were purchased. And there we are, slaves in the marketplace. God comes in and takes us away. The term justification takes us into a courtroom. And we see ourselves standing before 
the justice. Guilty. And now reconciliation. It's three times in this, these last few verses. Reconciliation. This one takes us into the home. To the family. To friends and loved ones. And it reminds us of images like the prodigal son. Humbled. Coming to the end of himself. Running back to his dad. His dad running to him. Only only too glad to take him in. Justification and reconciliation. Well, the reality of these terms are simultaneous. That is, when we trust Christ, the meanings and emotional intentions are radically different. So, for instance, the young lady I referred to last week who was exonerated by the very judge that she had sinned against, if you remember that story. Free to go and undoubtedly relieved. But the judge did not then walk up to the young lady and invite her back into his home. That would have been something. But this is exactly what Father God does for you and me. This is exactly what he does. And this is the reason why he concludes his time. Paul concludes the time by saying, "Verse more than that, we rejoice in God. Of course we do. We rejoice in God. Do you? Last week, last week, at the, during the most intense moment of the service, it was the business meeting. And our chairman was about to go up and read a list. And one young lady came up to me, and she said, are we going to become members tonight? I said, well, of course you are, because she'd trusted Christ. She'd been baptized. They'd been to the membership class. Yeah, yeah, you're going to become members. And then she walked away and said, let me see that list. Her name wasn't on it. And so I asked our office manager, well, they didn't turn in their application. But they'd done everything else, and they were agreeable, and... We put their name on the list. And I said, I walked up to her and I said, you're, gonna, you're in tonight. And she just started to cry. Not because she was become a member of a church, but because she was already a member of the family of God. And she said, I'm so thankful to be saved. And I thought of what God said to Moses one day when Moses came to him and said, you know, the people are saying, whatever you, whatever you say to me, I'll tell them and they'll obey. And in Deuteronomy 5, God says, oh, that my people were always like this. Rejoicing in what I've done for them. You will rejoice too. If you'll place your faith in Jesus Christ, be declared righteous by God, and you'll have all the grace you need to get through whatever this life has to give out, and you'll rejoice in the end. You want it? Do you want it? Some of the last verses of Scripture in the book of Revelation says, if anyone desires... 
Let him drink of the water of life freely. There's the key. Do you desire this? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we could be in your word. Thank you for those marvelous testimonies of Chris and Melissa. And I thank you for everyone here that could listen in, listen to your word, see these many results that come out of the justifying power of you. I pray, Lord, that there would be individuals in our, this room right now who would say, I desire to have my sins forgiven. I want to have Jesus in my life. I want to have his righteousness applied to me so that I can experience peace with you, God. Access to you, God. And all of these other things, Lord, and then some that we have talked about. And rejoice with a purposeful life, delivered from our sins, reconciled by the death of your son. If this is your heart's desire, my friend, as we're concluding our time, and you're tired of your sins, you're tired of playing the game, you're really kind of an accidental Pharisee. You're trusting yourself. But you've heard the stories in the baptismal, you've heard the word of God preached, and your heart is saying, I want this, I want this. Then you can have it. Place your faith in Jesus. And you will be saved. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.